0: This is Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast for writers and readers, by writers and readers. Hello and welcome to Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast for writers and readers, by writers and readers. I'm Madeleine Vaughan.
1: And I'm Jules Ironside. This week, with friends like these, reunions, reprises and encores in speculative fiction.
0: And this week we are delighted to invite in Elijah Menchaka. Hello, Elijah, all the way from the US.
2: Hello, Madeline Jules. Thank you so much for having me.
0: <laughs> it's so it- great to have you here. Um, we've been excited for this episode. Um, I hope you have as well.
2: I I have. I've never been on a podcast before, but I've always wanted to.
0: Oh, well, I was going to say something inappropriate there, but I'm not going to say it. But... Uh... I know what you were going to say, I understood it as well.
1: (laughs) Be gentle. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to steer us away from that, because, you know, I could really (laughs) go down that rabbit hole. Um, Right. (laughs) I've spent the last week reading Elijah's book, They Met in a Tavern, and I think it's a really good example of what we're going to talk about in this episode. But first of all, let's get Elijah, if you wouldn't mind, to talk a little bit about... Your book, and what got you writing it in the first place, and what sort of inspired you along the way?
2: Oh, geez, and uh, remember to cut me off when I start rambling. But uh, they met in a tavern is the story of the Starbreakers, which are a group of he- people who were once the greatest heroes in the land until a job went horribly, horribly wrong, and then they all split on about the worst of terms they could imagine, and then. Now, seven years later, the book actually picks up with them scattered and forced to reunite when a price is put on their heads and they have to relearn to work together or all get destroyed separately. And it was a mess of things that uh, inspired me. Uh, It was uh, about half mood and half characters because on one hand, I wrote it right at the tail end of college. For me... I'd really enjoyed my college years. I had a great group of friends. I felt like we could do anything. I loved hanging out with them. And then right at the last year, it just hit me that, oh, God, we're all going our separate ways. We're all going to different states. I'm never going to see these people again, hardly ever. And I immediately missed them so much. And I missed that sense of having a group that I was just in with all the time. And I wanted to translate that into a story or something, so I took... My other big inspiration, D&D, I was just like, the D&D party was that family unit for me. So Mm. I took that and I imagined a story where that family unit broke up and then had to live a life without that family unit. And then what happens when it comes crashing back? And I tried to look at it from a bunch of different ways. There were some people who were glad to be rid of it. There were some people who missed it terribly. And then there's that one friend who like, technically graduated college but never really left college
1: <laughs> now you and wouldn't so be talking about brass would you <laughs> uh,
2: i would in fact be talking about brass <laughs>
1: <laughs> um brass was actually my favorite character but um, he... not because i especially identified but just because um i was like yeah i know i know that guy yep. i definitely know that guy <laughs> uh,
2: yeah he's 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 that guy who's just like oh, didn't you graduate yeah but like tailgates are so fun yeah <laughs> Uh, but, yeah, so it was a lot of that, and then a lot of just inspiration from different places have drew me to that idea of coming back after uh, a, some time away. There, I watched Umbrella Academy, like, right before I wrote that book.
3: Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Th- that show of just, like, we were heroes as kids, and then we got old and got over it, and we kind of hate it now. And yeah, then... Yeah. Uh, and the big thing that pushed me towards fantasy, besides just playing a shit ton of D and D in college, was uh, I don't know if anyone's read Matt Colville's Ratcatcher's books.
1: Uh, I think I read the first one.
2: Yep, yep, Priest. That one I read that one. I was like, oh gosh, I, I want to do something like this. <laughs> and then yeah. the, that that was a big push. And then but-, but then some of the characters came out of just random stuff like Brass. I listened to a Panic at the Disco song, and I was like, oh, this needs to be a character now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that makes so much sense having read the book
0: so is it your is it your first book
2: it is It is my debut novel it's, they say the third book you write is the one you can publish and that's technically true because <laughs> I wrote a book in like middle school and then I wrote another one in high school but they're both garbage and they will never see the light of day so <laughs> Tavern's the first one I wrote and I was like no this one's actually a good book and it's the first one I've published.
0: And did you, so you, you played a lot of D&D, and I promise, Jules, I will not go on to a tangent about d and <laughs> I, I promise. But you, you played a lot of D&D. When you were playing, were you the, did you play as the dungeon master or did you, you know, was it a regular campaign? Was it lots of different campaigns? You know, how much of, of actually sort of what you were playing shaped the writing of the book, do you think?
2: Uh, all right, so I was the dungeon master for most of my D&D tenure in college. I had one friend who took over his DMing in one of my two groups. He had a very different style, but I adored playing with him as the DM, and I'm sad he doesn't do it as much anymore. But I, I was usually the DM. I was usually the one sort of guiding the story. Mm-hmm. And Tavern did start as the idea for a D&D campaign. I, I wanted to do a campaign of this story of just like, I wanted to have everyone make high-level characters, have them come up with a backstory of how they knew each other and why they broke up, and then push them back together. And then, as I was prepping for it, I thought to myself, I have re- very specific ideas of how I want this to look and how I want this to go. <laughs> and knowing my friends, they will not do that. And so I followed that age-old advice of, if you if you want control of the story and characters, don't play D&D, write a book.
0: Yes. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so, so I did. So I wrote a book and... Like none of the characters that we played on the table made it into the book. It was not well, I say that brass was, actually, I prototyped him in a book in a game once, but that was just for like one session. but none of, the, none of them none of the stories from the campaigns ever made it in. What really I translated the most was that feeling I had of just being with like four or five other people and just getting to know them really well and feeling like we could do anything together.
0: And have any of your friends, you know, your your college friends since read the book and gone, hey, I recognize myself, or, you know, <laughs> even if that was we, unintentional?
2: <laughs> uh, we, ha- we have discussed this actually once because mostly no, mostly no. I didn't put too many of them into it. However, I do have one friend who, because of the way I name characters, she's technically in the book. She is... Uh, the way I usually name characters, when I base them off someone I know, is I take the first sound in their name, and mm-hmm. then I change it, and then I just keep their physical description. So, uh, Caitlin the Guard is based off of my friend Katie.
0: Okay. But other than
2: that, uh, no, none of them made it in. Although they did all read it, and they did all like it quite a lot.
0: Oh, that's nice.
2: Yeah. Few of my friends actually have a little book club that they do, and they they asked me if they could read my book for that book club. I was like, "Oh, please!"
0: Oh, <laughs> that that That's was heartwarming. Really lovely. That's really lovely. And have you found since moving away? Have you found that you're you're not communicating with them, or was that was that fear unfounded?
2: It was a bit more unfounded than I thought it would be. Be like I thought I would never see them again, and I. I don't see them as, I don't see them as talk to them as much anymore, but Mm. we do still like talk online magic of technology and we do still play D&D online, but it's a bit of the spark's gone, you know, it it feels different in person and and we used to meet every week and now it's, uh, it's less so. It is diminished, but it is still there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking it's something Madeline and I have sort of covered on the podcast before, but it one of the things about your 20s that tends to really suck is the fact that everyone has to go off in their own direction and then yeah. you have to sort of reshape the group dynamic and sometimes lose people from, from your group entirely yeah. for a while.
2: Yeah, and that, that, that was the exact experience I tried to tried to put into Tavern, this idea that, like, well, we were in our 20s and we were hanging out all the time, but then we got older and now we had to sort of set up our lives without it and now we're back in each other's lives and, now oh, the, the the dynamic's different now. This isn't how it used to be.
0: Yeah, but absolutely. maybe we can make it work. Because yeah, I think that's, and it's something we're going to touch on a little bit, you know, a little bit later. But to sort of when you're in your twenties, to compare to you know even your thirties, if if you've sort of drifted away from one another, you come back. You know you're different, but you don't necessarily feel different, and you know that you might logically know that everyone else is different, but the moment you see each other, you're expecting them to be the same, and mm-hmm. no one is the same. Um, Mm -hmm. and so you yourself might not want to fall back into the old dynamics or you might want to fall back into the old dynamics but it's, you know, everyone's a different shape as it were the pattern isn't the same you kind of need to rearrange yourselves
1: Yeah, definitely Um, Okay, before we get on to our main topic um, Elijah, can you tell us a bit about your writing process? I'm always really interested in someone else's writing process
2: Oh, okay Um, So... It uh, varies a lot, but um, I base it off of basically how I used to do it in middle school when I was writing fan fiction, which is uh, at the start of it, I always um, uh, get, get an outline down. I've tried later in life to not write with an outline, and it, it's horrible for me, and I hate it. So at the start of every book, every project, I have an outline where I just bullet point every scene every major idea i want and just like a sentence of just like the first one is just like brass wakes up naked and, uh then brass and phoenix meet and then just i went down the list all the way through until i had the shape of the story and then once i do that i just go through it in order and uh I, I know i know a lot of people say don't do that just write whatever scene you want but i've i found it's just more efficient for me to just go down the list down the bullet points and when there's a scene I want to write, it just makes me want to get through the ones I don't more.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So it's just like, oh, get through this chapter that you're don't that you a little stuck on, and you get to write the one you really want to write. Uh,
1: and so yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I do something very similar, except being a massive nerd, I actually plot mine in Excel and, and go Ooh. from there. I, so... tr- I
2: tried to do that for a bit with Tavern. There was a point in the process of outlining where I was like, I'm going to make an Excel sheet to figure out which character dynamics this book focuses on. I wanted to see like which characters got the most time together and which got the most time in general. And then I abandoned it about halfway through because I couldn't format it correctly. I'm not good with
1: Excel. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I used to send Madeline things in Excel and she'd be just like, what, what is this? What, why have you sent this to me? Why are you torturing me?
0: (laughs) Just put it in a Word document like everyone else.
2: (laughs) Like a
1: normal person, for God's sake.
0: (laughs) Uh,
2: The other big thing, though, in the process for me that came up a lot is music.
3: Hmm.
2: Which was a huge surprise to me, because for a long, long time, music was not a big part of my life. And then it was a critical role did character playlists for their characters on the show. And just listening through that was what made music click for me. And then ever since, I've just been listening to a lot of it whenever I'm working, whenever I'm thinking through ideas. Um,
0: so, like so, music, I, mu- so like movie, so like movie scores and things like that, or
2: uh, yeah, it's like it's actually mostly just like pop music as opposed to soundtracks because soundtracks. Well, soundtracks are good for vibe, but I, I vibe more with lyrics, honestly. So uh, when I was writing uh, the brass's introductory chapter, uh, "Sympathy for the Devil" was playing on loop in just the back of my head and I it helps me visualize really well what's going on in the scene because like I can hear the music and I can just imagine the camera following the music or the scene following the music uh Billie Eilish's uh, I don't want to be you anymore that is the song that is play that the singer is singing in my head in Clock Tower's club
0: yeah Mm, okay cool and so there's
2: just lots of moments like that where it's just like this song is playing. I don't if I if I were scoring the movie and had unlimited budget, this song would be playing.
0: <laughs> so, um one last question then. You've obviously been very influenced by D and D, you've been influenced by music in terms of sort of the characters. In terms of your style and your approach to plot, kind of what what what's influenced you? What what books have, you know, have you maybe, you know, taken a uh, taken a leaf out of what films or things like that?
2: All right. So um, it, it varies a lot. I've found I'm a bit of a, a magpie when it comes to these sort of things, which okay. I try to rein in a lot. Uh, back when I first started writing, I, I, it would literally just I would mimic the style of whatever the last book I wrote was. And mm-hmm. that was a very hard habit to break growing as a writer. Just like, no, you are your own person. Um,
0: great but, for writing fan fiction though
2: oh absolutely it, it worked like a charm in in middle school uh, but so the books that the stuff that I've drawn a lot from recently and what I've come to realize is in my bones as a storyteller I am fundamentally influenced by superhero stuff so the Batman and Justice League cartoons I grew up on as a kid and the MC, MCU movies now that's where I get a lot of my just sensibility of like how characters should be what like lessons should they take away from things you know like just the general premise that the hero should fight and lose and then learn a lesson and then win the next fight that's that's like superhero that's in every superhero story and that's where i get it from basically
0: okay and oh, just yes. the, and
2: and the general sense that like uh all the all the starbreakers basically have like a costume essentially brass is in his big purple coat and phoenix has his red duster and wings is in all green basically just i dress them up like superheroes with a fantasy coat of paint and i that's how, and that's how i work with my fights too is just everyone needs their own fight power okay to make them unique and interesting in a fight and superheroes were a huge part of my life growing up but then okay, pick, books, one,
0: pick one superhero
2: uh, one superhero Pick one. Uh, <laughs> batman batman absolutely no doubt <laughs> uh.
1: i'm always surprised by that one because um my other half would probably also pick batman if if pushed to it but
0: it doesn't surprise me
1: i'm i okay i'm really sorry if i'm going to offend anyone here but i don't necessarily find batman the most interesting superhero
2: that's 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 fair that's valid there's
1: (laughs) as a person i just don't depending on the story there are things like the killing joke where batman as a character is actually very interesting and you know the dark knight is it dark knight rises or the dark knight the graphic novel um where he is again you know a much older character and he is actually really interesting returns i'm thinking of the graphic novel not the um is it it called dark knight returns i'm sorry dark knight returns is the novel
2: rises is the
1: movie Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sorry my bad, got them the wrong no, way around. You're but yeah, I you're fine. Him... It doesn't matter.
0: <laughs> I I like Batman, but I only ever really like Batman when he's with someone else. On his mm-hmm. own, I find yep. him a really uninteresting character. But I love his dynamic with Nightwing, for instance. I just love seeing those two together um, at any time. To be honest, I would just I'd just take Nightwing.
2: And put Batman oh yeah,
3: no.
0: but I I do I'd like to see I like him. I, I you know it was like with. Um, uh, Batman, Superman, Public Enemies. hmm I yeah,
2: love yeah, the Batman dynamic Batman is a between... character... Yeah. Batman's a character who really shines when con- when working with someone else. Yeah. yeah. Like Superman, Green Lantern, Nightwing, just anyone. He's got so much an interesting dynamic with basically everyone. And that's that's what I like about him, is that he's he really is a great team player, even though he hates it.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Which I think really sort of brings us back to, you know, the topic of, of conversation, because... You know, like with the Umbrella Academy, where you have, um, and I cannot believe I've just forgotten his name, the Kraken. What's his name?
2: Oh, that one's... that one's...
0: Why? Klaus? I've his name. No, no, Klaus is... Uh... Diego. Diego, that's it, Diego. You know, Diego is very much a Batman character as well, um, mm-hmm. and he's, you know, this character who is... has still been a superhero while everyone else has kind of stopped he's still doing the vigilante gig and then everyone all gets back together again <laughs> mm-hmm. and he's not exactly thrilled about it um, but I think that that's that is one of the sort of really interesting things when it comes to reunions which is the one character who's sort of kept at it uh, as you said yeah. the one who never graduated the one mm-hmm. or, the, or the one who's you know, went on the lone path, as you see with Batman and things like that. And how it changes when other things are introduced, whether that destroys or whether that adds something. Um, so let's let's talk about reunions and reprises um, yeah. when characters all come back together again.
1: Um, before we get too far, because I could absolutely follow that tangent um (laughs) let's just clarify by what we mean what we mean by reunions in this context so um have either of you guys had an invitation to i don't know a school reunion or a high school reunion or whatever
2: i have not and i'm not sure if it's because no one just no one likes me no one (laughs) told me which i don't believe because i was popular in high school or if just we've never organized one
1: yeah because i i had one um fairly recently i went to a convent school So that was interesting. My friends genuinely think I went to school through some sort of hole in the time-space continuum and actually managed to go to school in the 1950s because that's what it sounds like when I try and tell them stories and I'm discovering every day that there are things that happen that just weren't normal in the school context. (laughs) Um, So I've, I've got a lot of amusing memories and stories from school, but this school reunion invitation came through and lots of people were talking about getting together and then someone brought up something that one of the, the nuns had done. I mean, okay, I mean, she's dead now so I can't actually upset anybody, but the nun who was in charge of the kindergarten, so the sort of three and a half to six-year-olds, had a stick which she called Freddy that she used to bang on oh, the desk, no. which was incredibly serial killer of her, um, <laughs> the the stick, not banging it on the desk. Um, And she wasn't even one of the worst ones. She wasn't a nice person, but she wasn't one of the worst ones. And some of the others, some people were saying, well, we we can't invite some of these nuns who are still alive to this because I'm going to find that triggering. And so the invitation that came out in the end was the only school reunion invitation I've ever seen that had an actual trigger warning on it. And a sort of, can you keep your feelings to yourself? We're all trying to let bygones become bygones. Oh, no. Which um, I found hilariously funny, but when we were talking about doing this episode, Madeline and I, I was mm-hmm. thinking, actually, this is kind of a little bit more like you would find in this sort of superheroes getting back together scenario in speculative fiction, whereby there's been some there's been damage done, not necessarily intentionally, but to characters by other characters, and so that's why we thought it might be an interesting thing to talk about. <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
2: We're all gonna get back together and we need you all to not kill each other (laughs) yes that was i i tried so hard to like work that into like the tagline or marketing of the book of just like like if they don't kill each like they can win this if they don't kill each other first
0: yeah
1: Yeah. i was gonna say some people remember school as the best time of their lives um obviously weirdos Um, not just because they were popular or whatever, but because they were happiest with that group of people, which I think is a a very valid way to feel. Um, So when you get the gang back together, they're delighted. It's sort of an extension of, as you said, Elijah, the guy who just didn't graduate because, Mm -hmm. or, you know, didn't seem to move on after graduating. Um, So I I don't know. I find that quite an interesting character. I can't imagine being that character. No, yeah, but...
2: I've I've known people like it, but that just I I wanted to move forward. I I'm a person who wants to move forward with my life,
3: mm. and
2: I think it's important too. I think if you get stuck, you're you're missing out. You're missing out on getting to be a new new person.
0: Yeah, and yet so often there's you know there's a different kind of trauma which is associated with it. You know the inability to move forward. You know it and that's something you can definitely explore whenever you have these sort of reunions, is the sense of abandonment, Mm
3: -hmm. which
0: is that everyone else Mm -hmm. moves on and one person feels that they can't, perhaps because Uh, they feel like they have peaked.
2: Have any of you read Kings of the Wild? Yes, I love that book. Abandonment immediately made me go to Ganelon. Yeah. Just the poor guy, he, he... did he, he killed people for a damn good reason expected everyone to have his back and no one did and he got frozen Nerd. in stone <laughs> for 20 years and like everyone expects like oh god he's gonna be so pissed at all of us when we bust when we bust him out we like they they unthaw him and like people are cowering behind shields like expecting to just jump and he's just uh what's the job yeah just immediate immediate <laughs> and they're just like you're not mad of course his reasoning is like well I was for like 10 years but I was in there a while
1: I had time to process <laughs> everything. Was, yeah. That was that was really, to really refreshing. Connect with me. But that was kind of a cruel it it was a cruel way that that was explored because he was aware well he was he was a Oh statue. yeah, that
2: that sucked. That sucked for him, but at the same time it was it was just so refreshing to just see him just immediately link back in, like immediately be ready to go like yeah i was mad for a while but now i'm not and
3: yeah
2: we got we got a thing to do it's us
3: yeah
2: and that's that That i think that's a testament to the group that bond had i just like even after that much time apart even after like kind of screwing each other over in places just they're still there for each other when it, moment counts back against the wall
0: yeah
1: yeah definitely <laughs>
0: It's interesting as well, because what you can then also get is you can get the character who never moved on and is desperate for everyone to come back and really eager when they do. And you Mm -hmm. can have a character who never initially moved on and then doesn't want them to come back because there's that fear that, oh, they're just back for now. I'm going to get comfortable again, and then they're going to abandon me again. Mm. Yeah, that's... Um, yeah, so there's so much there to explore, there's so much possibility.
1: Yeah, the... Yeah, definitely. And I think then you have everybody, you, you also probably have the one who couldn't wait to leave because the gang in itself was kind of an escape when the situation was um, uncomfortable or untenable. Rather like school for some people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and they, they don't really want to go back. They don't want to slip back into a skin that's like four sizes too small for them now. Um, and I suppose everyone else is sort of a gradation on that scale. I As mean, there are good things, there are bad things, there are things they can't believe they've forgotten that actually they've quietly missed the whole time. Yep,
2: yep, that was... Yeah. I, tr- I That was the one of the premises in Tavern, was I tried to give everyone a different angle on it. So Brass was the one who just never left and is immediately happy to just fall back and step and get back together. Phoenix is the one who misses it, a lot, but has moved on. and But he feels lesser for having moved on. He feels like, Oh man, back then, that was when I was something. Now I'm not. And so he's kind of chasing something that might not be there anymore. Mm-hmm. And then Angel's the one who is very vehemently... Okay, no. I, I don't like any of you. You, you. you guys hurt me. I'm glad to be rid of you. But at the same time, there's that little nugget of her that's just like... I mean, I am mad at you guys a lot, but I don't actually want any of you to die.
3: <laughs> Not
2: that mad. And then Snow was the one who, uh, I I mirrored her in my head as the inverse of Phoenix, where like, she doesn't miss it because she thinks she was less than, and mm. but in doing so is maybe missing something she used to have that she doesn't now. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I think you. I mean, you've got a seven-year gap there, um, and you know, I think with Umbrella Academy, it was a bit longer, wasn't
2: it? Yeah, Umbrella Academy than seven years. Umbrella Academy, I forget how long they were gone for because they broke up very slowly.
3: Yeah,
1: they
2: were teenagers. Then, they like so- one died, and then one left, and then one disappeared, just until it was just Luther yeah. left, and then Kings of the Wild yeah. were separated for. 20 years um trying to think what else what other ones were there
1: but um yeah i was just sort of thinking back to you know um the the sheer, the sheer idea of sitting down to a meal um for most of my class for a class reunion 20 years later was too much for some people to take and then i was sort of thinking um as we were planning this podcast now, imagine that I'd taken those people and we were suddenly told we had to defuse a nuclear bomb together or something. <laughs> um, and it's, I think that's what kind of makes the trope um, quite, quite a juicy one in narrative terms, because you can have all those different internal conflicts and all things that, that, that you, you get within a, a good group. Mm. But I think
2: there's also some catharsis to it of just like, I think a lot of us just miss our friends, and we'd like to get back together again.
1: Yeah, I think some of us miss the people we used to be as well, mm-hmm. uh, or at least we think we do until we get yep. back there, and then we realize actually I'm not that person. I'm, I mean, I physically every seven years I'm literally a different person, so <laughs> because all th- my cells are renewed, etc. But
0: I think there's also this disparity between you know when you're in your 20s or when you're in your teens and you look to what you're going to be like in the future you have this image particularly if you're optimistic you know you have this like this is what my life is going to look like and then so often what they get is the trope where it's like yeah i'm going to be this i'm by the time i'm this age i'm going to be the ceo and stuff like that and then it zips to the future and they're they are not they're not the ceo <laughs> that yeah they're they're the they're the post boy or, or something like that you know um and You know, I think that when you're young, you've got that... Not that there's anything wrong with that, but when you're young, you've got this, um, this image of what life is going to be and all the possibilities. And then you're kind of left with the reality of what adult life actually is. And adult life is slower. You know, there are different kinds of stresses. There are different things to do. And when you have the reunion, what happens is you actually sort of, just for a little bit you go back to those teenage years and those and that excitement mm-hmm. but with the wisdom of being older so it's like the best of both worlds
2: it can be it can be if you're willing to synthesize the what you've learned with that spark that was there before and jam them together yeah. the point the big thing is to not be one or the other to but to like find the best of both and be better than both of them
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I think um, as Madeline was sort of touching on there you you kind of have this thing as a as a child and a teenager where you're going to do great things we're all going to be kings and queens in Narnia kind of thing mm-hmm. except that not everyone can be and your ideas of what basically heroism is as a child and a teenager and even in your 20s is completely different to what heroism actually can be sometimes heroism is just getting up every day going to job and you know making sure your children are fed and go to school etc and maybe creating something on the side it's not necessarily all pyrotechnics and saving the world yeah yeah
2: (laughs) oh that reminds reminds me of a lot of things i'm I'm trying not to talk about myself too much but the then the flip side is i end up just talking about kings of the wild a lot (laughs) because uh clay Cooper from Kings he was that guy who was just like his hero his idea of heroism was very different like as an adult in that book as when he was younger but back then it was just like yeah go around hunt monsters get glory now it's just like I gotta be a dad this little yeah. girl needs <laughs> me yeah and yet that yeah, feeling also propelled him to do like incredible stuff like there's a line in the book that gets repeated a couple times that made me choke every time i read it was just like you would come save me if it was me daddy right and he's just like if it was you nothing in the world would stop me and then it, it, that line gets brought up like every time he's like almost dead or desperate to do something and i choke every time
0: yeah yeah it's, it's, the, it's the iron man thing you know in um in endgame oh where you know there is a reunion there yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm often back together
2: I've often compared Tavern to like the first half of Endgame. Of just like the heroes yeah. lost, they had to move on. And now yeah. we're trying to get back at it. And yeah. some of them...
0: and they and they've moved on without resolving the issues that they left. They just walked away. Yep.
1: We lost and, so and we so didn't fix it.
0: years of unresolved <laughs>
1: <laughs> resentment. <laughs> mm-hmm. And in some cases, unresolved broken romances yeah. as well, because you get a group of people together, particularly as teenagers, and, you know, at least two of them are going to get together mm-hmm. at some point. And it's going to go horribly wrong, because they're young. Yeah.
2: The, the they're young. You, if, you're in a, if you're in science fiction and fantasy, you probably did it in the midst of lots of adrenaline and near-death experiences.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then what?
2: And then, yeah. and then it slows down a bit, and you realize, oh, we're not... This isn't actually going to work. Yeah, that was uh that was that was Phoenix and Snow from Tavern. That yeah. I, I I decided that like absolutely there would have been two of them who got together and absolutely would be broken up by now. And I just I wanted to see that. I wanted to see like a romantic relationship that had ended and had been moved past in fiction because I don't see that a lot and I wanted more of it. No, you,
1: no, you yeah. certainly don't see it in. I think you certainly don't see it in in fantasy this sort of fantasy as as much. I will it's, say, usually when
2: you usually... do, they get back together.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like, it's, it's the old like flames. Just like ah, we were old them.
2: flames once, and now new story.
1: Let's get another shot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which is
0: also not very healthy because it's like a, oh, we're back together again, back in this high stress, <laughs> adrenaline filled environment,
1: <laughs> making the same mistakes again, the
0: same mistakes. <laughs> Now is, not the good, now is not a good time to be making big decisions about your futures, guys.
1: Um, before we move on to the next bit, let's talk about the one last job trope, because the one last job trope is absolutely classic. The last job mm-hmm. is usually the one that really goes wrong. <laughs> yeah. So the idea of having this high, high octane, high adrenaline, stressful situation where you've got a bunch of people who perhaps parted on very bad terms, went their own ways, and didn't really move on from it being pushed back together for one last job is is just a recipe for disaster and i'm definitely yes. here for that well, there's two different
2: kinds yeah. of one last jobs though there's the the one last job at the end of your career and then there's one last job after the career which is probably close to what we're talking about in the topic
1: yeah yeah, yeah definitely
2: and it's a very different dynamic it's just like if it's just the end of your, if it's just the end of a run it's just then you know everyone's going to die <laughs> This is like last job and then we retire. Everyone, we're gonna, we're gonna make bank. We're gonna retire to the Bahamas. Nope, never happens. Whoever's yeah, closest to retirement that's when dies it, that's first. That's when it goes wrong. <laughs> but then, if it's a reunion, one last job. Honestly, your odds of surviving it are a lot better.
0: Yeah, it's particularly interesting when it's a reunion, one last job, and it's actually we need to finish the job we started and failed at last time. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay, do I do, do you like the feel... one last job because 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 it's it's a really nice. Uh, you can understand why it's tempting, which is that oh we get to relive the glory days, but then at the end it's finished. We're yep. not we're not trying to get the band back together. We're just we're just gonna do one last little thing, and it's such a tempting phrase. Just one last, just one more, one last, just one more, one more, just one more. Ah,
2: <laughs> uh, it's, it's adventures like Pringles, though you can never have just one.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, with Iron Man, it was just one, just one more fight, just one more.
2: It it, it was that was his whole arc for like everything post Iron Man <laughs> three was just was like I'm, Iron Man three. I'm done. Oh, but Hydra's back. Okay, one one more time.
1: <laughs> but now Basically, I'm done. Since, now I'm
2: done. Really, I'm done. Oh, but now since, since
1: the first film wasn't Pepper going, you're going to do this until it kills you, Tony. It's like okay, okay, I am quitting. I'm definitely quitting. Yeah, I. One more. That, one that more. scene, scene that you're one.
2: talking about, like she literally says, "I'm not, I'm not going to be a part of this because you're going to kill yourself," and his response is just like, "I know what I have. This is what I have to do." And when I rewatch that scene, I cry because they're both right. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: And it's, I think it also adds new meaning to obviously when he dies because it's almost a little bit cold in some ways because Peppa's just like, "You can go now." And I was just always like, "No, Pepper, hold on to him, Jesus." No, I, <laughs> I don't know. I think but at the same time, but you know, that that's the part of me that doesn't want him to die. Yeah, but it is. It's this understanding that they knew when when she came into his office and he'd sort of put the technology together. He could have just given it to the Avengers and stepped back, but she pushed him because she knew that that's what he needed.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um. That he couldn't walk away. And I think it was good because before they were very much at odds of the fact that they loved each other but that she wanted him to retire um, and he never felt like he could. Um, and that put a lot of difficulty in their relationship because they were, they were sort of hurtling towards an exit that they knew was inevitable um, and that was going to hurt. And then rather than them sort of being at odds about that, there was a kind of a great sense of peace in that they knew that there was never that the, the one last job as it were was going to be the last one that and that was going to be it they they knew that that was how it was going to work yeah um so it's incredibly it's incredibly sad but incredibly moving
2: how do we how do we feel about the montage that tends to precede the one last job of just like it's time to get the band back together that seek that sequence of like the first because it's always like one person who needs who's asking for it goes to the one person who really doesn't want it, and they get convinced first, and then we round up everyone else.
0: Well, it's the it's the Rick and Morty, um, Rick Sanchez, <laughs> you son, son of a, of a bitch. bitch! I'm in. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, that. Uh. So you went to Rick and Morty, and I went to the Muppets. It's like, shall we? <laughs> shall we condense this journey by doing the rest of it via map? And obviously, it just cuts away from <laughs> the Driving cross country <laughs> via map, collecting the other Muppets. Um, but yeah, essentially, I do. I I think it it's fun. It's um, oh yeah. And even when you you do it in books, it's kind of a. It's it's a nice way of collapsing, sort of the backstory without info dumping on your readers. Montage is yeah. so
2: much harder to do in books. That's the one. Yeah. The, I'm not yeah. jealous about other media for much when I'm writing books, but montage is the one thing I'm I'm annoyed by. Like, uh. and then the other one that annoys me is um uh, the thing you can do in visual media media where you put narration over unrelated activity happening. Or like different. Yeah. Like you know, you can have Captain America's heroic speech, overlaid over all the Avengers suiting up. And you can't do that in yeah, a book. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah. You can't, yeah. That, that's one of the things. The other one is, you know, fight scenes. I think kung fu fighting is, looks, it looks so much better in, <laughs> on screen than when you're describing it in a book. Yeah. I th- it's just a different thing, but yeah. So they've definitely got that. Um, I do love a good montage. I do love a good reunion montage as well. But I I guess that also depends on what's the emphasis of the reunion. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes, you know, it is just, all right, well, we're all back together again for one last job. Um, And whenever you have that kind of montage reunion thing, it it tends to be that actually it's not about the whole group it's about a couple of people in the group Mm -hmm. and they are the ones who are at the center stage but when you then have reunion which is not a montage but one where you see everybody coming back where everyone has to sort of be convinced um that tends to be more of an ensemble piece i think
2: yeah yeah i think that's that's probably right I, I think my favorite part of that whole trope though is just like getting to see where everyone is and contra getting that contrasted against what you need them for. Like you walk into it like you walk into a place and Rick and Morty you walk into a place like hey this guy's the biggest muscle I know and he's playing piano now.
0: Yeah. And and they and the, yeah and they always did that. They did that in the. Uh, the he's playing piano and I was like, no, I'm done fighting. And then one thing happens and he throws the piano. <laughs> yeah. and it's it. Yeah, play your piano. It's, <laughs> it's, it's the trope. Yeah, it's like a don't call me that. And it's like, it's the trope which is like, oh, they're doing something which is totally opposite, but actually, we know this is only a thin veneer mm-hmm. for what is truly in their hearts. Mm-hmm. You know, they're ready to actually throw down despite what they say. And a part of me loves that, and a part of me hates it because I'm like, it's like saying yeah but you never really you never really get to leave you never really get to change or to develop or anything like that there's always that little bit inside of you and i was like oh (laughs) because i kind of want. what i kind of want is like yeah okay all right look i'll come and do the muscle stuff but look i've got to be back here at seven because i've got a gig and i'm not missing it kind of thing like do both You don't have to destroy the piano. <laughs> no, poor piano. Um,
1: I'm going to move us on to um, just a quick look at other reasons that reunions and reprisals are compelling narrative vehicles. Obviously, we've talked about the emotional drama and we've talked about the whole getting a, a almost an estranged family back together, sort of Umbrella mm. Academy style. Um, but there's another one I'd like to talk about, which is, where the original team has had to do something so traumatic it's left members permanently affected years later. Yeah. So they might even still be in touch with each other, but nobody talks about those days. Um, and then you force those characters to reform the team in order to face the evil they thought they'd defeated back then. Um so I'm thinking of um Veronica Roth's I was, I was chosen about to say ones. Veronica for Roth's example. chosen ones.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yep. How? Yeah, that that is an excellent example, and I I really like the way she wrote that. And you know, obviously, we had her on uh, a little I while ago I... talking about chosen ones. That was a good oh. episode. <laughs> it was it was a good episode. It was great to hear her talking about it, and to hear her talking about actually handling trauma. What 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 the chosen one you know trauma must actually look like when you're a kid, and then and then you grow up and you've kind of got to left to deal with it. And I really like the way she handled it because she did look at it realistically mm-hmm. in terms of, all right, what would happen? And actually, whilst you might very well still even be friends with certain people, they are also links to your current trauma. Um, mm-hmm. they, yep. they are triggers for it as well, which yeah. is why being together, they can, you can support one another or you can become codependent or you can actually make each other worse.
1: Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, that brings up... Um, but,
2: yeah. uh, but going back to Rat Catchers, uh, that, those books, in the second one, there's almost like an anti-reunion, which, which where these two characters, like, they broke up on some pretty traumatic terms, and then when they meet together, they do hate each other, and they do try to kill each other. <laughs> And what I loved about that scene was, like, one of the characters, Garth, who's the rogue, he has a sword that specifically counters priest magic, and the main character of that book was Hayden, the priest. And, like, as soon as Hayden sees that sword, he goes, Oh, I remember that sword. That's the sword you bought in case you ever had to kill me.
0: Oh, that's comforting.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's great. That moment of just, like... I always wondered which of us would win in a fight. Then you were always a bad friend.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Another reason, and this is one that I, this is a sort of trope I particularly seem to be attracted to is like readers like the not so happily ever after. So you have favorite characters and a time, a, a period of time elapses and you kind of want to know what's happened. So even if a series has ended in a satisfactory manner, you kind of want to know what happened with your favorite characters yeah. And in some ways, finding out that perhaps they didn't really get the happily ever after that was suggested at the end of the series is, is more engaging than finding out that it, it panned out exactly how you
2: thought it would. I'm back and forth on that one. Um, like, sometimes sometimes I go, like, yeah, it's nice to, like, peel, like, the veneer back and be like, ah, happily ever after doesn't last forever, man. You, you gotta keep fighting for it. You gotta keep working for it. It's an up and down thing. And then yeah. the other half of the time, usually just when I'm sad or when I've scrolled for doom scrolled for too long i just go well oh, that's come on just just let us be happy let us have this let us yeah. have a win yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i completely agree um and this also links in with this weird trope that i dislike which is that you whenever you get sort of sequel series where it's like a, oh you see they all grew up they had kids um and you know your favorite characters are now grown up they have kids of their own and they're bad parents and i'm like Why do they always have to be bad parents? Why can't they be good parents? (laughs) Well, meaning, but bad parents. I'm like, why can't any of them be good parents?
1: (laughs) Or they got together, had kids and split up. I was actually really upset when The Force Awakens came out and it turned out that Han and Leia had obviously got together, had Mm -hmm. a child and then split up. I mean, it makes sense in terms of the story, but I was really disappointed at the
0: time. Yeah, no, I completely agree.
2: That, that was, as soon as we mentioned just like um uh, not, happily ever after is not panning out, I immediately went to just like Han and Leia. Yeah, Han and Leia's Like, yeah, they I mean, got Luke together. Well. They said, "I love you." Well, that's nice. Oh, you thought they would stay together, fool.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, you thought you thought Luke would be a would be a good,
2: <laughs> it would be a good teacher. You thought
0: we'd let Luke. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Have no. you seen his teachers?
1: <laughs> yeah i think one of the things with this sort of the, the reunion the reprise in in team-ups is that there are decades and decades of sort of epic high fantasy sword and sorcery type stuff um that are just straight up adventures that give you a you know boy gets sword and a destiny type mm. and then you assemble the group and you go off on your adventures so starting from the other end, where everybody has done all that, and then split up, perhaps bitterly, and then got back together again, can be quite a refreshing way to tackle it. I, I think and that's just a symptom
2: it, of the genre's age at this point. Just like It's got, like, again, because it's been around so long, we've had so many of those straightforward stories that we're all hitting the point of just like, well then what what happens after that?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's... <laughs> I think it also um, it it taps into the into that favorite trope, which is you know the ensemble pieces. Mm-hmm. We all love ensemble pieces, um, but it, it taps into it by sort of cheating. <laughs> it does. Um, you know, the team yeah. after they've slit up, rather than having to show the the initial formation, um, you know, so so you get to have the get the backstory of oh, where did these resentments come from? Um, which can be really, really gripping, but you don't need to sort of build up. A, oh, yeah, this is how they all know each other. We've got to build up the relationship on screen or in in chapters, for, so that you really sort of like them. It's like, no, no, we don't need to build up. We just need to we need to show you these relationships exist, um, and we can sh- show them getting better. So it's it's kind of like a cheat. Oh no, <laughs> cheat I yeah up, I
2: exploited the hell it, out of works that for really tavern. really well. <laughs> I exploited the hell out of that for tavern. I was a lot. literally numerous times where i was just just writing and there would be like i would think to myself do i need to tell you their backstory no you you know what their backstory was you've seen this done a million times let's move
1: on (laughs) yeah definitely okay um let's we've touched on a lot of these but let's have a look at types of reunion stories so you've got the um the gang made an enemy back in the day and that person is potentially killing their way through the ranks of the old team so obviously they met in a tavern yep Um, and Watchmen ooh yeah yeah Yeah. because there's a what I like about (laughs) weirdly I always my favourite character in Watchmen is Rorschach which is probably quite disturbing Um, but I mean you're not alone (laughs) in that (laughs) I'm not alone in that but there's not really a like,
2: good favourite character to have in Watchmen to be. No there fair.
1: isn't. They're all terrible I mean, okay, you've got you've got the new silk specter and um I was gonna say Owlman then, but I don't mean owl man I? What is God, his name? I
0: don't know. I'm remember. sorry my
1: brain just went AWOL.
0: Owlman is from a different thing.
1: Yes it is. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, they're they're all varying well, they're just people, and I think that's the thing with superheroes, isn't it? It's the human that's important, not the super bit but um, yeah, I I do find the the general story of Watchmen quite compelling, and the fact that it turns out to be one of their own number who is doing it and with some logic behind what he's doing as well, even if we kind of go, okay, you've definitely eaten the crazy flakes
0: (laughs) Is that an option? <laughs> Is that, the new uh, cereal. Yep, Crazy Flakes.
2: <laughs> I will take a bowl myself, thank you.
0: <laughs>
1: um, okay, other other examples of types. Uh, the daughter or son of one of the band has come to misadventure. So, the member of the original group calls up the rest of the gang to help recover them. So we've got Kings of the Wild. Yep, Kings of the Wild. Yeah.
0: You also have a, the other version of this, which is that the daughter or the son gets the band back together in memory of their parent.
2: I um, was in a D and D campaign like that. Oh yeah. Yeah, that was that my my friend who took over is DMing. He that was the first campaign I he ran that I joined where we were playing the children of the old band, and oh, the whole campaign oh, cool. was trotting around trying to rescue them and slowly getting them back together and then also slowly eclipsing them because by by the end of the campaign it was us telling our parents what to do and they were just being like That's yeah cool. sure
0: yeah but it's also um oh god what's it called you're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off what's that
1: the Italian job.
0: Thank you, the Italian job. I was <laughs> the gentleman's job, and I was like, "That's not right." So like, no, the, the remake the of the thing. Italian job, the remake of like the the more modern one. I say it's recent; it's not recent at all, but not not the not the traditional one, but the sort of the remake um was the daughter who was trying to find out what had happened to her father um because her father had been killed, and so she gets everybody back together. Um, yeah. and, and they all sort of work together um so that's an example of that one as well um and that can work quite well i think yeah that's an interesting angle um, yeah. i've not seen
1: that particular but no
0: uh, and it's replay. been a long time since i've seen it but it's an interesting way because it's also that it's you know it's the handing of the torch yeah
1: mm-hmm.
0: kind of idea as well um and it it's It's one of those ones which it's also about the the dealing with trauma um, and growing up um, and, you know, stepping out of somebody's shadow, you know, into your own space. So there's a lot of potential there for those kinds of reunion stories.
2: It's probably because reunions inherently involve older characters and that in turn, at a certain age, you just have to accept that you are not going to be the biggest game in town anymore. And you got a clear way for the young blood
1: yeah yeah absolutely honestly i'm still waiting for the the chosen one to be someone in their 70s who sort of gets their their young aid and and their colostomy bag all packed up and they go off and (laughs) heed the call to adventure i'm still waiting for that that story because i will definitely read that
0: (laughs) you know what they say
1: (laughs) write the book you want to read you can't find it you're gonna regret saying that (laughs) (laughs) i won't (laughs) okay um another one and i'm i've put this in just because i want to talk about this one book um but the old enemy has returned obviously we talked about chosen ones but Mm. also it by stephen king oh Mm. yeah um which double whammy because the the main the, the main group the the unlucky seven um basically have forgotten what they did as children. So it comes as a bit of a shock when they all get phone calls when they're about 38. Sort of, it's come
0: back. That's. I can that's... just imagine being in that situation, being like, okay, well, let the new youth deal with it. Bye. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, that that sort of comes up in uh, Kings of Wild's sequel Bloody Rose. There's like, another crisis comes, and there's just a... This sense of, like, let someone else deal with it. We've we've done this already. <laughs> Do we have to? Does it have to be us again?
1: Yeah, I've sold my shares to the circus, therefore they are not my monkeys anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I quite like this one. Uh, one of the original gang is accused of crimes and sentenced to death, and for some obscure reason he or she is not cooperating with his own defense, so it falls to the rest of the gang to unravel exactly what's happened.
0: Yes.
2: What, what, where's to be that honest, I actually from? Because I just... swear I've seen it, but I can't think of it off the top of my head.
1: I'm thinking <laughs> of Michelle Sagara's Chronicles of Elantra, but it's also, it's kind of a riff off the old um, type of folk songs where you've got someone who has been sleeping with his wife's best friend, but mm. gets accused of murder and goes to the gallows rather than impugn the woman's honour kind of thing. Mm.
0: <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Uh, it's, I mean, you get it, it's not quite the same, but, you know, Sinbad, the the animated Sinbad, which is so good. Um, you obviously get these two best friends who are, um, you know, who were best friends in childhood and then sort of get together and then one of them gets arrested and the other takes his place and stuff like that. And I, I think it touches on that, but I think another one of that is... BBC Musketeers first episode Athos <laughs> um getting arrested and uh, they do it in the musketeers I think where it's that one person's in danger everyone else needs to come back together yeah. yeah to do it um but it is it I I do love that trope or they take it a step really, further really and like
2: one of us trope. died
0: yes yeah, yeah. Someone, someone's someone been killed, we need to get together, or someone's in trouble, oh, shoot, we that's need to get together and avenge them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: We, we, yeah we came yeah, back to Watchmen. Depends. The comedian died.
1: Yes. <laughs> and not by accident.
2: <laughs> the comedian died. Good. Oh, wait, we should probably figure out why.
1: <laughs> Damn, we're not home free yet. Um. Then my final example is one member of the original gang, yearns for the old days and manipulates the group into a situation where they have to team up again. I'm thinking of a book called The Shadows of Spindrift House by Mira Grant, which is a sort of Lovecraftian dark fantasy horror type scenario, which features a group of five now 20 year olds who are about to leave college and they're all going their own way and one member of the group really doesn't want that to happen. Because as teenagers, they were kind of like this group of teenage detectives, mm-hmm. sort of very Scooby-Doo style. Yeah, mm-hmm. And in the desperation to try and keep everyone together, even though everyone except her has kind of lost interest in the process, they just don't want to be those people anymore. She brings up the greatest mystery she has access to, which is where she herself comes from. And they go to investigate Spindrift House, which was allegedly where she used to live. Um, everything goes horribly, horribly wrong from that, as you'd expect from a Lovecraftian horror story.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, but there's also uh, the the third of the Cornetto trilogy with Simon Pegg, which is at the world's end. Yes, um, that's a really typical example of of yes, yeah, one guy who's not left.
2: Yeah, not not ready to let still go,
0: holding on to that. Yeah, so sort of, it's
1: fun when you're 17, but not when you're in your th- late like 30s or 40s.
0: Yeah. It's a really great story. Definitely.
1: Okay, so um, who do I put on the spot first? Your favorite reunions or reprises in speculative fiction. Elijah, why don't you take this one?
2: All right. Um, not going to say mine. Um, I honestly think Kings of the Wild. Um, yeah. I did not discover it until after I'd read Tavern. But as soon as I read it, I was like, oh gosh, this is just this very... This is the exact same juice I'm getting from there and i loved that book just yeah. cuz i lo- the the way clay just doesn't want to get involved but he knows he has to and the, yeah. the reactions and just where you find each of them post post the adventure uh moog moog trying to cure the rot and contracting it was such a uh gut punch and then yeah. there was the whole situation with Matrick, which was something I tried to squeeze into the conversation earlier is like sometimes you have like that scenario of like they thought there were going to be one thing and then years pass and it wasn't Matrick was a twist on that whereas he got like the big happy ending he got to be a king and it was not anything like he expected or wanted <laughs> <laughs> and then Ganon yeah. which we <laughs> talked about earlier just like poor guy got frozen and yet they're all back together again and there's such an interesting magic to it of just those guys like rocking through one last time and then that huddle right at the end where they all just hug and say i love you ah it it gets me every time
1: yeah i I particularly enjoyed um the way nicholas ames kind of riffs off the idea of a rock band where things went a bit sour and they split up and got back together, because there's hints of that through both Kings of <laughs> the Wild and Bloody Rose, isn't there?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. King,
2: Kings of the Wild and Bloody Rose, the way I differentiate them is Kings of the Wild is about trying to reclaim something that was lost one last time, and Bloody Rose is more about giving something up.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it is passing the baton.
0: What about you, Madeline? Um, So I think on the very surface level, I really, really, you know, I enjoyed the whole the end of the Avengers. I didn't like necessarily all the ways that it was done, but I, I love the whole, okay, we've all sort of fallen apart, but now we're coming together. And we are teaming up, and it did give me a little thrill to see the original Avengers. Well, I say the original Avengers, you know, minus the ones that they murdered. <laughs> <get> looking... Not <laughs> that you're bitter or anything. Uh, well, not that I'm bitter, but it was, you know, it was really good to see Thor, Iron Man, and Captain America all stood together. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. on that final on that final battleground, and to have everybody all coming together that was that was actually quite special. Um, I think on a smaller level, um, I've recently read Leobardugo's *Rule of Wolves*, which is the second in the *King of Scars* trilogy. Um, I don't want to give too many spoilers, but the Six of Crows do show up. Oh, um, yeah. So the we we do see the crows. We see Kaz Bracker. Um, and yeah, so they go to Kaz and they're like, we need you for a job. He's like, all right, hold on. I got to get some people. Um, and <laughs> he he goes, gets Wylan and he goes and gets uh, Jesper. Um, and I, I, I did get a little thrill. I was like, "Ooh, it,
2: it, <laughs> yay.
0: <laughs> it's,
2: it's always nice to see the old hands back. <laughs> it's,
0: it is, it is, yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Um. And so it was nice to see that. And also at the end of Rule of Wolves, again, I don't want to... Um, do any spoilers, but they do say, "Oh shit, we need Kaz <laughs> and so I think the next book is is going to be back with the Six of Crows, um, and I'm really looking forward to that reunion because I also like the fact that you know in the reunion in in Rule of Wolves, is Kaz Brekker literally just shows up at Wyland's house, <laughs> and uh, Wyland's like, "We're not doing anything illegal." Um and Jasper's like, Well we might do something illegal, but like Wyland's <laughs> not gonna like it <laughs> and then um and all says it's for Inej and they and Wyland's like, Why didn't you say so? Tell us what you need <laughs> he pulls out the map. And it's just it's it was it's a small, really small bit, um, but it was actually really satisfying, so yeah.
1: Cool.
2: Yeah. What well,
1: about you, I- Jules? I've obviously mentioned it already. I don't know why that's one I keep coming back to because there is some there are some not great bits in that book, honestly, mm. um which i'll I just skip now uh, but <laughs> I think it's that the fact that it deals with that that teetering on the child adult divide where you reach a point in your life where you might literally not understand what you thought as a child and vice mm. versa because the future is a foreign country and so is the past, so it depends on where you're living, doesn't it? Mm.
3: Um,
1: And, yeah, so that one, definitely Kings of the Wild, as we've already said. Um, Chosen ones, again. I just really, really like a a reprise of a team-up, apparently. Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Which is why I'm really super excited about some of your future books, Jules, because every time, (laughs) you tease! You tease with those characters, and they're just sort of they just mention and I'm like, come on, team up, team up. <laughs> Everybody, get together.
1: I, I promise you, by the final book, that it will be worth the wait. Okay. I'm super <laughs> excited. I'm, I promise you. So excited. Okay, um, that's probably about all we've got time for this week. Um, Elijah, would you like to tell our listeners where they can find you online? In a non stalkery capacity, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> sure, I
2: am on twitter and instagram and tiktok on at agent 003 and that's uh, honestly that's my handle basically everywhere uh i also have my own website leishmanchakan.com where you can find links to my books and all my other stuff that i do uh where else i'm on youtube not too many videos up yet but i'm still working on cranking those out also and actually that one's under leishmanchakan now that one's not under phoenix agent other than that, let's see, website, socials, YouTube, that's that's about where you can find me without me being concerned that you found me there. <laughs>
0: okay. <laughs> Good to know. Well, thank you so much for uh, coming onto the show, Elijah. Um, it's been a pleasure to have you to to sort of um, to discuss the book. Obviously, it is time for our Dissecting Dragons recommendation of the week and, you know, fairly obviously... Uh, we are going to be recommending Elijah's book this week.
2: Oh, thank yes. you. Um,
0: so is it, where where can people find it? Usual channels, Amazon. It
2: is available online basically wherever you purchase books online, Amazon, it's on Camcat's website, it's on Barnes & Noble, not Barn oh, yes, Barnes & Noble, uh Indiebound and there's one more that I always forget. There's like four buttons on the Camcat website to where you can buy it.
0: Uh, iBooks or whatever. It probably it's probably books, on there. It? It's it's
2: on a, yeah, it's on Apple too. Yep. Uh, but yeah, you can pick it up wherever okay. digital books are sold. Um, I don't think it's on it. It's in a couple of libraries in the world now, as my friends have informed nice. me. Nice.
0: Very nice. And on that note, guys, we'll say thanks very much for listening, and we'll catch you guys next week.
1: Yeah. Thanks and goodbye. Bye. you've been listening to dissecting dragons the speculative fiction podcast you can follow our podcast at podbean.com or from itunes for more information visit our facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash dissecting or check out our author websites at jaironside.com and madelinevaughan.com please note that no dragons were harmed during the making of this podcast